Leontine Price, Pearl Bailey, Martina Arroyo, Marian Anderson, Heather Headley, Harolyn Blackwell, Audra McDonald, all are women of color who have had inspiring careers in either opera, musical theater, or both. Today on the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, a special conversation between one of these legends and a renowned Broadway veteran. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is funded in part by support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. To learn more, visit metguild.org. Carolyn Blackwell is one of America's legendary sopranos, having made her mark in both opera and musical theater. She began her career singing in Leonard Bernstein's stage production of West Side Story, and soon after, she began breaking into the operatic realm when she was selected as a finalist in the Metropolitan Opera National Council auditions. I'm Naomi Baratera, and here at the Metropolitan Opera Guild, we have the immense honor of having Ms. Blackwell on our board of directors. Robin Payne is a singer, actor, and producer here in New York City, known for her long run singing Sarabi in the Julie Taymor production of The Lion King on Broadway, as well as touring roles in Thoroughly Modern Millie and Sista's The Musical. Earlier this season, I had the privilege of sitting down with these two wonderful performers to record a special conversation in celebration of Black History Month. Because it was such a great talk, we've split it into two parts, and right now we're going to dive into part one of two. So I would like to welcome here to our podcast, Robin Payne and Harolyn Blackwell. Thank you both for being with us today. Thank you for Thank having you us. Thank you for having us. So Harolyn is on our board of directors here at the Metropolitan Opera Guild and also on our education committee, and both Harolyn and Robin have had active careers as performers in both musical theater and in opera, so we are excited to get their insights into where these two art forms intersect. So before we dive into the discussion of the two styles, why don't we get to know both of you a little bit better? So maybe Robin, would you like to start by introducing yourself to us? Tell us a little bit about yourself and whatever you are willing to share with us about your background and experience with both operatic performance and musical theater. All right. I'm Robin Payne. I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana. I went to school at Indiana University, was in the School of Music my first few years. Um, I started in the music department. I was the only freshman of my year to get into the opera course. And Indiana University's stage, I think things have changed a little bit, but the stage has the same parameters as the Met stage. So we would do these full productions with the big orchestra, you know, act twos, set would move forward. It was it was magnificent. So my freshman year, I was in the opera course, which was a great honor. And then my sophomore year, I started getting small roles along with grad students in the operas. So uh, studying in the music school, you had a large credit load, so I think it was maybe 18 credits per semester. So that's a large amount. And then add rehearsals to that mm -hmm. in the evening. In opera course, it would maybe be three hours a night, but once I started having roles, it was six hours a night. And I found, I realized that I had a nicer 
costume, a nicer wig, but I didn't see that there was anything different that was happening in my education. So I kind of decided to move along to the musical theater department, which we didn't have one at the time, but basically went to the theater department and said, well, maybe I'll learn how to sing. Maybe I'll learn how to act and dance until my voice matures. As I say, it mm-hmm. takes a while. So that's kind of my experience. I studied with Carlos Montaner for many years, and I was going to study. Actually, I did study with Martina Arroyo for a moment, but Carlos had spoiled me so much he wasn't really having <laughs> So, yeah, she's like, no, that's not going to happen. You're mine. Yeah, so I went back to Carlos. Sorry, Martina. Yeah, so. um, And then I um, moved. I was in Indianapolis, did musical theater, moved to Chicago for a while, did musicals, and then moved to New York. And um, maybe a year after I moved here, was in The Lion King on Broadway. Did the national tour of Thoroughly Modern Millie and regional theater throughout the country. And now I'm doing more plays than... Musicals. <laughs> oh, that's that's an interesting journey. That really <laughs> is an interesting journey. Um, I'm originally from Washington D.C. and I study at Catholic University uh, in in Washington D.C. and I started in the music department and really started out with Le Nozze di Figaro, which was my first assignment with Barbarina, but. I was always interested in musical theater because when I first started singing, that's the repertoire that my voice teacher gave me. And we had a very strong drama department at that point. Um, John Voigt, um, Susan Sarandon. And so we were literally, the only thing between the two departments was the law department. And my sophomore year, they did a production of Golden Apple. And... I went over there and I auditioned and I got the lead. And that really put me on the road to musical theater. And so it got to the point that the people, the music, the my instructors in the music department said, so what are you? What do you want to do? And I just said, I want to sing great music whether it's musical theater, whether it's opera. And so I've always gone back and forth. And it's been the music that really has speared me to decide what I, what I sing. And so um, I left, um, I, I got my undergraduate degree and my master's at Catholic University. And while I was working as a secretary, I heard through a friend that they were holding auditions for West Side Story. And my former ex-boyfriend called up as my manager and said, um, and got me an audition. And so all of a sudden I was coming to New York City for my first audition, not knowing that Jerome Robbins would be there, that Leonard Bernstein would wow. be there. And, and, and got the role of, wow. uh, singing somewhere and understanding Maria. So, I mean, I was really very fortunate. So, and then that became my introduction into going into opera in this respect, that I found that after doing two and a half years of West Side Story, that when I would go audition, there really weren't roles for an African-American and, or even in my case, looking Latina, there weren't that many roles out there for me. And so I think the turning point for me was when I went to do an audition for a production of La Boheme that they were doing in 
Joe Papp was doing in the park. And open call, went to sing Musetta, and the music director, after, after I sang Quando Membo, said to me, can you sing that a third down? <laughs> and I went, with, without, without even thinking, I just looked at him and I said, but Puccini didn't write that a third down. <laughs> and it was at that moment, I looked at him and I said, no, I don't think I can do that. And I walked out and that was the deciding moment. I thought, this is not going to happen. This, mm. I need to think maybe about a different, a career shift at mm. this point. And it was then that through the help of my best girlfriend, she said, you have a degree in voice performance. You need to use this degree. And she said, I said, well, how? She said, we're going to sit down and we're going to apply to all of these young artist programs in the country. That's a good friend. That's really, <laughs> she, really. She sat down there with me with a typewriter, and she's mm -hmm. typing, the, and I'm and I'm, I'm putting mm -hmm. the uh, letters in the um, envelope. And um, then I had the opportunity to audition for Houston and Chicago, and I went to the Chicago program. And that was really, it was a year of, of training. It was mm -hmm. a year of seeing, I thought, okay, I'm going to see if this is what I want to do. And I am forever grateful to that. Maestro Shannon and everyone at Chicago Lyric Opera for giving me the opportunity because I was really, really very green. I had maybe done two operas mm -hmm. while I was in college because I was so busy in the music in the drama department mm -hmm. that um, and I, that's where I really started to you know I got my training and um, then I made a decision at the end of that year that yes, this is what I wanted to pursue. So it's it's been an interesting path. Mm -hmm. Kind of I actually forgot to mention when I was um, seventeen, Indianapolis Opera did Porgy and Bess, and I was the youngest person in the ensemble. And I think I always seemed older, so people didn't know. Right. I think I gave someone a note, and he, was, I think he threatened to beat me up. And my mother had to come and say, "She's seventeen. <laughs> you can't beat her. <laughs> she doesn't know." So. Angela Brown was in that. Do you know Angela Brown? Oh, yes, she I know is. Angela. Yeah, so she, went, she was at IU when I was there, but she was in the grad program. She was in the grad program. That was before program. she won. Didn't she win the Met? Maybe that was right about the time she would have won the Met. Uh, I think it was before. Before the yes. Met auditions. Was Janice Dixon there? That name sounds familiar. Janice was, I, I remember Janice Dixon came from Indiana University. And she, no, she was there the first summer that I did Jemmy in, San, in uh, San Antonio, and she was in the course, okay. and uh, she had just graduated. She had just finished her master's, mm -hmm. master's okay. so I guess Janice had long left. So, mm -hmm. see, we have all these friends in common. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a small world. It is. <laughs> it's amazing that you did uh, well in New York, because, or in America, because the women that I know, girls that I went to high school with and college with, uh, they all live in Germany, while the men I know live in America and still sing. It's very interesting. It's, well, it's interesting. At one point, I did I did um, go over to Europe for a fest contract, mm -hmm. but really, my career started here, and most of my career has been here, and that was way into my career that we made a decision that I would um, accept a, a fest contract. But you're right; so many people had to go over first. To, I mean, they've been living there. Yeah, and, and, and remain there, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, and, but, and, and at that point, there was a lot of musical theater happening in Germany, especially. Mm -hmm. 
especially musical th musical theater in Germany. So the opportunities might have been more in that respect. And then there are also more opera houses also in that respect. So, um, yes, I mean, I think all of us at one point, that was the first place that we would go or consider going. Mm -hmm. But I, th I think I was fortunate in the respect of with this West Side Story, John Demain, who was the music director at Houston at that point, happened to be the you know, the conductor for the um, for the production. So John knew my work, and um, and, and you know that I think that really helped. Mm -hmm. And Bernstein, I mean Bernstein, just sat there and gave me advice. He said to me, mm -hmm. right after you finish this, the next thing you should learn is the Mall of Fourth wow. Symphony. Wow! And Any I think, advice from Leonard Bernstein? I'm going. Okay, that's a good idea. Mm -hmm. that's amazing. <laughs> but um, and at that point, you know, basically my my career has followed Riri Gris' career. Mm -hmm. I mean, Riri was the original girl who sang somewhere, mm -hmm. and so my career basically has just been I followed Riri. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's and she's been a real mentor in that respect. Mm -hmm. that's yeah, fantastic. You mentioned that there didn't seem to be roles for you as a Latina-looking black woman. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's interesting because I found, just moving to the city 17 years ago, you would see posters of a black Carmen. You see posters of, you would know that there were people of different races. You would know that there was um, non-traditional casting right. in opera. Where musical theater, it seems like it's just starting absolutely. in the last 10 or maybe 20 years, but still it's not the same. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I knew that things had changed when Garth Dabrinsky called me up and said, would you be Arkunaganda and mm. Candide? And it was interesting. I didn't even think about it. I just said, what I thought about was the fact that I said, how many shows a week? <laughs> because I've been so used to singing mm -hmm. maybe three shows, four at the most. And, uh, and I, you know, after so many years of not being on Broadway, mm -hmm. that, that thought of eight shows a week? Okay, this is a different ball game. This is a different ball game altogether. But Garth Dabrinsky was one of those individuals, was one of those producers who really started to think outside the box. And when he called me up for that, I went, wow. I said, and I had a lot of people who said to me, you know, you're in the middle of your opera career. Do you want to do this? I said, yes, I want to do this. Why not? I said, it's a role I've always wanted to mm -hmm. do. And people always ask me when I return to Broadway. I said, if the right role came with under the right circumstances, with the, and I always wanted to work with Hal Prince. Mm -hmm. So I just said, yes. And I really didn't think about the fact that, oh my goodness, here's an African-American woman singing a role that has been long associated with a Caucasian woman. Barbara Cook, right? Yes, Barbara Cook. And everyone's prior to me. And it didn't hit me, honestly, until the day I was walking down Broadway and I saw the billboard in front of me, this huge billboard right near the Gershwin Theater, and I thought, oh, oh, okay, we have really taken a step forward. And I think with Audra, mm -hmm. and um, again, with Garth Dabrinsky, he brought Leslie Uggams in to sing, um, um, what's the role, in Sunset Boulevard. Oh, okay. Um, 
talking yes, about. Yes, he brought her in to sing that role. That he he really started to say, push that envelope a little bit. Mm. But you're right. The the problem when I came, I wouldn't say it was a problem, but by the time I finished West Side Story, many of the store many of the musicals at that point were. The Whiz, mm-hmm. Bubbling Brown Sugar. And so I would go in, they said, Well, you've got a great voice, but do you Were sing they? gospel? Mm-hmm. And I'm going, No. Yes. And no. that's that's the, the rub. They want, and I've had managers send me in for certain things. Like, I can do it, depending on who the audience is. Right. <laughs> but some people are going to know that I'm faking it. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And and I knowing that gospel was not my forte, mm -hmm. far from it, that I I knew I couldn't fake it. Mm -hmm. I just said this is the voice that I have and Mm -hmm. this is what I can give you. And they would go, Yeah, thank you very Mm -hmm. much. And so as I said, we were being slotted into a particular genre and and not really thinking about opening up. Mm-hmm. And it has changed. It has changed greatly. It has changed, but the styles of shows have changed where there aren't that many opportunities to sing legitimately anymore. I know a lot of baritones who don't perform because there aren't a lot of shows for baritones that sing. Oh, interesting. It's all high tenor screaming and you know a lot of belting for women as well. That's... So that's part of, you know, I, I can belt, but I think as I'm getting older, my voice wants to definitely just be more legit and so it's very interesting that transition but going in for auditions it's funny you mentioned the um them wanting to take the key down in la bohem right um there's a casting office that casts just about everything in the city they started off with the really pop shows the real rock shows right and i think they want you to come in you know if you go to music school you're very polished you walk in you've got your dress on you've got your little suit and they don't like that at all they did um (laughs) they did the porgy and bess on broadway oh right and the breakdown said, R&B song. I'm like, oh, well, what are they going to do differently that I have to, what? <laughs> so I don't even know how to walk in. How do you even walk into the audition? So, so sometimes when it's a show with people of color, that just goes into the breakdown. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, you, and you want to say, there are other things that mm-hmm. we can do. And I mean, I feel that in many respects, I, and I'm sure you do, that you've walked in and you've had to really just be an ambassador, an ambassador, ambassadress, mm-hmm. I guess, of having people to open their minds. Mm-hmm. Open their minds. It's just in this business, regardless of what you do. Exactly. You Ex- have to, if you're a person, if you're a minority, you really have to have that um that sense of self, you know, I remember being in Lion King and people in the, you know, there was an audition for something and someone said, I'm not going in for that. They're not looking for another black girl. Like, I don't care if they're, I'm not the casting director. It's what? my job to go in and audition. Because by the time they are looking for someone like me, they need to know who I am. Right. So, you know, I think, yes, an ambassador, you have to just have the confidence to say, I'm good at what I'm, I do and I might stand out because I'm different. Absolutely. 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 And so, as I said, you know, when the opportunity came to, to sing Kunaganda, I, as I said, I just grabbed at the opportunity because it was 
was basically something I had always wanted to do. And it was one of those roles that um, on several occasions people had asked me to sing and I wasn't available. And I thought, wow, here I am. I'm going to be doing a production. And if I'm going to return to Broadway, this, this is, is the way to this do is it. The way, this is the way to do it. There's not much out there now that mm-hmm. really is for my voice, but this is, this mm-hmm. is really for me. And, uh, and so it, and, and as I said, it wasn't until that day I walked down the street and went, oh, mm-hmm. Okay, the best of all possible worlds, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. basically what what um, you know, Voltaire talks yes. about in in Candide, mm-hmm. and I just I, and I saw it that day. I saw saw all of us up there, and I went, yeah, good, mm-hmm. good, <laughs> yeah. You mentioned a few people that were inspirational or that careers that you followed people that maybe paved the way a little bit can you talk about some of your both of you some of your role models other singers that were either mentors to you or singers you looked up to as carving a path in what was and still is for many singers a very difficult road to go in an industry where the singers around you don't always look like you or you are a visible minority. So who were some of the people that inspired you in your early careers and maybe continue to inspire you now as times change? Well, I mean, the first person for me, Marian Anderson, Lane Team Price, um, Shirley Verrett, Grace Bumbery, Martina, Riri Grist, as I said, Riri, I mean, when I would walk into auditions, people would say to me, you remind me so much of Riri Grist. And I finally had the opportunity to meet her. Um, I was over in um, Germany doing a audition tour. And I called her up and I said, Miss Grist, my name is Harold Blackwell. I send regards from my manager, Sam Niefeld. And I'm here and I would like to meet you. And she said, well, I don't have time to give you a lesson. I said, I don't want a lesson. Mm-hmm. I just want to meet you. Because every time I walk into the room, everyone says, you remind me, <laughs> I remind you of, 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 of Mary Christ. And I met her and I just went, ah, yes. Ah. I, I just, I, I got it immediately. And so Riri has really been, for me, once I started doing you know, West Side Story and really following her career, she's been, been also very, very influential. And... Um, out, out of out of the box again, Aretha Franklin. Hmm. Totally out of the box. But Aretha, I have to tell you, when Aretha passed away, I sat there and cried. Hmm. I sat there and hmm. cried. Because as a child, she really helped me to understand outside of the box. Hmm. Leonard Bernstein. Because Lenny was always going back and forth. And I think for him... It, I hope I'm not talking out of line here, but it was always about the music. So those are the people come that come to mind right now. Robin? I recall I, one of my first musical memories of singing. I remember being sick and having a cold and being hoarse. And I must have been singing, and I thought to myself, I sound like t- Captain and Tennille. And I don't know how old I was. I had to, I mean... I couldn't have been more than five or six. I mean, I don't know. I just remember that specifically. Maybe I was older, but I remember that specifically. So um, I always liked that pop music. Um, as I was a little bit older, I always listened to the, the light rock stations. I love Karen Carpenter, you know, Rainy Days and Mondays. Just, oh, that beautiful warmth, that, just that beautiful sound, that 
and just the music as well too. Just the way that I uh, I just love the Carpenters. I also like my pop rock, so or my rock. So um, I love Pat Benatar, Tina Turner, Cindy Lauper is really cool too. Um, I would imitate people. I still probably do a little bit. And I remember in fifth grade, I was on the bus and I go, don't I sound just like George Michael and Wham? And I sing Careless Whisper. People go, you do sound like them. So I think it, I always had a lower voice. So maybe my voice was matching up with the tenor's voice. Of Kenny Loggins. Um, and I, I, and these are people that I love their music, but I also, there's something about the way some of these people sing that's inspiring. And then I think came along Whitney Houston. And of course, everyone was trying to sing like Whitney Houston, the greatest love of all, and et cetera. Um, and in high school, I think I started listening to operas and musical theater. And um, I remember PBS would have different, I, maybe it was the Tonys, but I definitely remember PBS with um, Into the Woods being on there. I remember seeing, I think I taped a Tony award where um, Patti Lapone sang Evita. I had never seen that before. Um, I also went to the library and I would get albums out of the library and I wouldn't give them back. I remember Carmen, um, Porgy and Bess, and other things, soundtracks. I, I think I learned almost all of Carmen. I think I didn't learn the last... Actually, I had a tape, so I didn't learn the last side of the tape, but I learned all of Carmen in French. I learned Porgy and Bess, but um, Carolyn Blackwell was on the Porgy and Bess. <laughs> so that was one of my first operas that I learned and listened to. So, of course, wanted to sound like her and imitate her. Uh, then it came along for me, Les Miserables. I think I saw that a few times when it came through town. And um, Phantom of the Opera, probably trying to sing like Christine. But specifically after that, went to college and started studying opera and doing musical theater. And I remember I had a roommate who loved Judy Garland and Barbara Streisand. There's a this a pink box set with four, four or eight CDs for Barbara Streisand. And so I would listen to all of those and just listen to her, her career trajectory as she, she, during her early years, she would, it sounded like she was trying to imitate Judy Garland. And then as she got older, she found her own sound. And I think we all probably do that. Um, Judy Garland with the pain in her voice and just her, and the joy. She's very interesting, obviously. Um, after college, I probably listened to all sorts of things. I don't know who I was really inspired by to sound like or to imitate. I love Basha. Um, Alita Adams is probably one of the only gospel-sounding singers that I really love, um, at least through those years. And um, then when YouTube got on, uh, when YouTube, when I found YouTube, I at one point must have done some research on. Um, James Bond themes or something like that and found Shirley Bassey, who I knew what she sounded like. I sang, you know, Goldfinger, et cetera. But to watch her perform, I've never seen anyone perform like she does. She, it's like she's looking each member of the audience in the eye trying to plead her case. She's incredible. She sang on the Oscars maybe about 10 years ago. Barbara Streisand also sang that year. And Shirley Bassey, I think at the time, was maybe 72, 75 she had it. She was on key. She had the power. Incredible. Incredible. Um, I don't think I mentioned Tina Turner. She's another one who still has it. Um, so I liked a lot of music, but the people who I re who really moved me I, over the years, Shirley Bassey, um, Karen Carpenter. I also love Katie Lang's voice. If you never heard um, Trail of Broken Hearts, just listen to that first line. She's ugh, such a beautiful voice. 
I like mostly beautiful voices, but some rock voices are fun. You know, people who have that natural rock voice like Tina Turner, I think that's just her voice. You can't lose it if it's yours, you know, versus people <laughs> trying to imitate. Oh, Ella Fitzgerald, somebody introduced me to her in high school, just trying to do those runs and trying to think like a trumpet. <laughs> The way she does. She's incredible. I think probably musical theater, Audra McDonald yes. and um, Heather Headley. It was interesting. I was thinking about musical theater people, mm-hmm. and the person I thought of immediately was Audra, mm-hmm. too. And, um, yeah, it's interesting because, of, I think, again, I'm, those people go back and forth. Brian Stokes Mitchell. Brian Stokes Mitchell. Um, Brian Stokes Mitchell. Norm Lewis. Norm Lewis. I was going to say Norm um, Lewis. As you said, as the baritones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's almost like they have to be stars or they don't exist. <laughs> it's Yeah. I, I don't know if you saw the show um, Shuffle Along. Yes, I did. That show was magnificent. It was fabulous. And there was no reason for it to close. And you realize they they base these shows off of the stars. And so it really does a disjustice to the show and to everyone else. Because people really, everything's about celebrity now. So they pay to see that star. And it's, you know, because sometimes you think, oh, it's, it, it didn't need Audrey McDonald. I didn't, you know, it just didn't need her to stay. Oh, that's, it was see, a that's, beautiful that's show. interesting. That's interesting because I saw Audra mm-hmm. McDonald and, and it was fabulous. So I, I love that it's coming from your viewpoint mm-hmm. of that you didn't see Audra, you, you know, the, mm-hmm. the star. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet the show was still powerful. Oh, so powerful. And the por- performances, I mean, overall, there was not one person mm-hmm. on that stage, in my humble mm-hmm. opinion, even in the, um, in the chorus ensemble. that could not ensemble that could not step forward and to be incredible. a leading player. Honestly, it was just, it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And you're absolutely right. So, so it's, that's what we're, it, I don't even know if it's race as much as it is celebrity that we're, that people interesting. are, you know, that you have to face mm-hmm. as a performer, as a, as an unknown performer, as a young performer. How do you get famous? How, are you on television? Are you, you know, do you have a following on Twitter? It's it's very interesting how things have shifted. Yeah. No, that's very very true. I think, for example, I take myself coming here to understudy the role of Maria, um, you know, an unknown really, mm-hmm. and Josie de Guzman, who was the Maria, and and um, Debbie Allen, but there were. Those were the two names, really. Mm-hmm. Debbie was really the name, mm-hmm. and 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 but name in the respect of, I would say, recognition throughout mm-hmm. the United States because of what she had done. But everyone else was not real. It, we were they were names in the Broadway world, mm-hmm. but not so much this celebrity, celebrity. recognition, and it worked. Mm-hmm. I think it always works. It, you know, I remember moving here and the producers had just opened. Right. And that's when you realize, because that show is very, I saw it with one understudy on, I think, for Nathan Lane. Mm-hmm. That show was very funny. But when the stars left, the show just didn't do well because they really, they talked about how much they paid them so much. It's just, I don't know, it's a shame what they've done because they, it seems like they're shooting, the producers are shooting themselves in the feet mm-hmm. by basing everything on celebrity. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know if, I assume it's the same way in opera, but not quite the same because I don't think opera singers would have the same level of national celebrity. Well, I mean, well, let's say for example, uh, you know, Luciana Pavarotti. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
But that was a while ago. That was a while ago. That was a while ago. Is it the same now? In some respects, I think so. I think I think in some respects, maybe not as much, but in an an evening with uh, Renee Fleming or Anna Netrebko or or yes, you know, I I think it's still I think in that respect it is. Um, yeah, I think in some respects, but not maybe as much. Mm-hmm. What I do you think, Naomi? I also think because of the, at least in New York City, the Broadway has a kind of tourist population draw that I think opera only really experiences a fraction of, of exactly. That. And exactly. so I think that if if you're a tourist coming or traveling to New York City wanting to see the opera, you're probably already an opera lover. Mm-hmm. It's something that you've invested a little bit of time in or you've grown up with. And so you know what you're after looking to come to an opera at the Met, right? for example. Whereas with Broadway shows in New York, it has such a high profile as a tourist attraction for anybody coming to the city that I think there is a desire to capture tourist interest and tourist dollars to support the industry in a way that opera doesn't experience. Yeah. And so because of that, I think highlighting the stars mm-hmm. is an effort to capture the tourist population that they might know these names from other places, right. from television or film mm-hmm. or um, other Broadway recordings, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so some names, I think, in Broadway become more widely known to the general populace than major opera stars. Mm-hmm. That's a good thought. For example, they're coming here and they may, someone who doesn't know the opera well just comes in and says, oh, I like La Boheme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I grew up with the recording of La Boheme, mm-hmm. so I love La Boheme. It doesn't matter if it's this person or that person. It's just the fact that it's La Boheme mm-hmm. that I've, I've come here to see. So there is this trend of we see opera companies starting to program at least one major musical theater piece on their seasons. Uh, Lyric Opera of Chicago has done My Fair Lady, The King and I, Carousel, The Sound of Music in Oklahoma. Glimmer Glass has plans to do Showboat in 2019. So why do you think some of the reasons are that this trend is emerging, that we see it more and more, opera companies bringing a musical theater piece into the fold? Well, it really happened, started to happen with Beverly Sills with City Opera. Beverly Sills used to have a spring season and that that she would bring in and they would do a musical. Most Happy Fella, Little Night Music. That was part of their season when she was there. So this had been done before mm-hmm. and it was successful, very successful. So I think the opera, other opera companies just finally said, oh, okay, this is this this is maybe a format that we should follow, and it's successful. We're doing those musicals that have been, I think, a part of the American musical theater scene for years upon years that people are grew up with, are familiar with, and that still is a major part of what people want to hear. I think, and. It's being done on Broadway, but not as much. Mm-hmm. I think part of that is how much it costs. I mean, you've ah. got these huge casts, you've got orchestras, 
Broadway scaling down. When I was on Broadway, there was a strike because they were trying to That's make right. the orchestra. <laughs> they were trying to get rid of the orchestra. It's so I think a lot of it comes down to money, unfortunately. Money. Mm-hmm. Oh, and most the, regional that. theaters. I mean, if, most regional theaters don't seem to do um, a lot of musicals. Depending on the type of theater it is, they do plays with five or six people or mm-hmm. four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it would be great for them, right? You know. So we're we're really talking so if you about have musicals with two people. They'll do them. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, have a band of a piano and <laughs> and, and and call it a day. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it really comes down to um, the nuts and bolts of uh, the finances. Mm-hmm. How many mm-hmm. people are in showboat? Oh, that's a large. That's a large cast. That's a large cast. Mm-hmm. Large cast. Mm-hmm. So Broadway can afford to do maybe one or two of those. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, just take for example. Look at the color purple. Mm-hmm. How they, I mean, the first time it came out, it was this massive orchestra, mm-hmm. how many people on stage, and then they've they scaled, scaled it down. It down. Mm. They've scaled it down. Carmen Jones, I've just mm-hmm. you know, heard about this Carmen Jones, yeah. and where they've done the scaled down version of Carmen Jones mm-hmm. with, you know, I don't know how many instruments. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we're, I guess we're better set up for that because we have mm-hmm. a full season. Of um, of you know, a chorus of uh, you know the orchestra mm-hmm. and so the means to do it. In terms of the actual singing, because a common ground in both of these art forms, aside from both being staged works with sets and costumes, is the focus on singing. So can you both talk a little bit about? the similarities and differences in the styles of singing and type of singing that you are required to do between opera and musical theater, where do they converge and where do they depart? And, and especially since both of you have moved between the two. Mm-hmm. So how has, how have you maneuvered your, your own voice between different styles? I would say for me, the technique has always remained the same. Okay, the technical base is there, and the style has just changed. Whereas I know, you know, with, in the, in the opera, that well, first of all, I'm singing without a mic, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the voice has to carry in a certain way. Whereas I'm singing musical theater, I've got that mic, and I what I found I have to kind of pull Come off. Back. <laughs> and because everyone was saying, um, you're kind of blowing everyone out of here, girl. And I'm going, okay, okay. And I have to say, coming back to doing uh, Candide, it was really difficult for me to just having that body mm-hmm. mic. And one day, I remember at the end of, right before Glitter and Be Gay, I had to run off stage and I forgot my pack. And I came on, and I just started singing the last part mm-hmm. of the um, uh, of the aria uh, of the song, and I stopped and I said to the um, uh, I said to the sound guy, "That's my sound. That's what I need to hear. I'm am f- I'm, I'm familiar to mm-hmm. you know because I'm it used is to- hard when they've got a it's blaring in your ear and you it, don't know how loud or how soft how to soft sing. and and I found it really difficult to make the adjustment until finally I just had to say just kind of settle. And just kind of fall back.
passion to champagne. Ha, ha, ha. My wardrobe is expensive as the devil. Ha, ha. Perhaps it is ignoble to complain. Enough, enough of being paisley dearful. I'll show my noble stuff by being bright and cheerful. The style is the style is more spoken in musical theater. It's sung, but we, we have more opportunities to break up that line. Mm -hmm. 
whether more than in the in, in singing opera. It's about the words, and it seems like opera is about the music. Exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. I don't know. I don't know the last time I sang professionally where I had to <laughs> had to on purpose sing legit. <laughs> um, I don't know. I tend to they want me to scream the belt a lot. So. Um, <laughs> It's, it's a different thing. It's funny, I had tenor <laughs> teachers when I was in high school and then when I was in mm-hmm. college. And recently I had a teacher that I work with who I've never studied with anyone like him. He's like a physical therapist for the voice in a sense. Mm-hmm. And he says something to me. He's like, well, if you tell yourself in your head when you're young that singing, that blowing as hard as you can is how you do it, then eventually you're going to get very strong and you're just blowing and that's not the right answer. Mm-hmm. So I've had to relearn <laughs> how to do that. And Tenor's always made me cover my sound and told me I was a mezzo. And now that I'm older, I'm, I don't think that I'm really a mezzo. I mean, I can sing those things, but it just, it doesn't make quite, right. quite make sense. So um, it is, it's different, you know, if, if it's, you know, sometimes I like to sing the karaoke and start screaming the Bon Jovi song. <laughs> like, I, I don't think I have any auditions in the next week or two, so I'm okay. <laughs> Not real religious about it. Um, Only in New York is a song that I sang in Thoroughly Modern Millie. And that's not an easy song to sing. It's you know a lot of high. Um, I say chesting. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't think I do a, a high belt anymore. Step right up to treasure I Every inch of it a sky high line.
it's funny talking about race because you find that people do want that gospel or that they expect that sort of sound hmm. or belt or something. You can tell it's just you can tell there's an expectation. Let's exactly. put it that way, and you don't really know what the expectation is. Right. I don't find it's it's not necessarily an easy transition. I would say. I mean, I can do it, but and I'm not saying it to be funny, but I think that some people can do that with their voices, and other people cannot. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I know uh, sopranos who, you know, a woman who had natural hair, and she said, "I don't do anything else," and there's nothing, <laughs> you know, they expect me to do this. I can't do it. <laughs> so it's you know it, it can be interesting. And now musical theater is going um, is getting very rock and pop and gospel. Yes, you it's don't, and, and doing, let's say, eight shows a week. Eight shows a week. Eight shows a week. And when you're young, you don't care because you exactly. think you're going to live forever. Exactly, you know? exactly. But as you start to get older and you start, you know, you start doing mm-hmm. this eight shows a week, ooh, because I know with Candide, they said, I said, how many shows? You're and I got to hit that high E. <clears throat> and I, I, I got down to five. I said ooh. to them, I will sing five. Mm-hmm. You have to get a replacement for three. I'm at this point in my career, I'm not mm-hmm. going to be singing eight shows mm-hmm. a week. I knew at that point, doing those eight shows a week, that at that point I could not because mm-hmm. of my other commitments after that. And so getting down to five shows a week, and this is the other big difference. When you're doing that many shows a week, you really don't have a life. No. Mm. no. You honestly do not have a life. You just sing those shows, you come home on Monday, you're resting, and you're gearing up for Tuesday. And so I remember coming back to do the show and thinking, oh, I'm moving back to New York. I wasn't living in New York. I'm going to have fun. I'll be able to see my friends. (laughs) You just had your scarf. That was it. I was ready to go, Robin. I was going, oh, yeah. And I could be all going out after the show tonight, you know, and having a drink with somebody and go, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Well, (laughs) right before I um, started rehearsing, I went to see Julie Andrews in Victor Victoria. Mm -hmm. And... The music director was a, the conductor was a friend of mine, so I went backstage to meet Julie Andrews, and I mean this is one of my idols, right, mm-hmm. from kid, and I said, Miss Andrews, I just have one question to ask you. I said, I'm coming back to Broadway after years of not being on Broadway, just like her. I said, Can you give me any advice? And she looked at me and she said, You will not have a life, <laughs> and I went, Oh, okay, thank you. <laughs> and walked out and yeah. went, went, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was mm-hmm. kind of, yeah. Well, about a year later, I <laughs> ran into her and said, didn't have a life. <laughs> 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 That's what was so, mm-hmm. so surprising to me that getting up there, and it's, and I think the other thing. To protect that, your voice or just being tired from the show? Protecting my voice, mm-hmm. protecting my voice, and also, you know, being tired from the show i had yes i'd done opera Mm -hmm. but i had those days in between Mm -hmm. but going out there night after night after night and on this this high level Mm -hmm. a show like that too because you're just running all over the place and protecting the voice and just this this high level of you know performing i think it's probably something like lion king Mm -hmm. night after night after night and this is the other thing i think is a big difference between the two worlds you have a chance really in musical theater 
because you're doing it night after night after night to, to really, really get in there mm-hmm. and 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 work it and work it and find new learn things and let it surprise you and exactly all that. exactly that doesn't quite happen in, in opera, opera. Hmm. unless you have a lot of performances mm-hmm. and most of the time you have six seven eight performances at the most and so and it's a couple of days in between. Mm-hmm. So, but, so, but that thing of getting in, because I remember an usher came up to me at mm-hmm. the end of the show. She said, you know, it was really great to see how you grew in this role, oh. heroin. And I said, that's the greatest compliment. compliment. Thank you. Because this is mm-hmm. someone seeing you night after mm-hmm. night after night. And so you have that ability to try things. to say, well, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's, let's go off and do something else. And often you, you, don't, you don't have that yeah. opportunity when you're mm-hmm. doing... Uh, um, a production, especially if you're doing the role for the first time. Now, maybe if you've done the role for the second or the fourth time, mm-hmm. um, you will. But then also in opera, you're working with a different director every mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Whereas in musical theater, you're working with one director. And, and if it's a long-term show or you have a person who's designated. Yes. Who, com- yeah, who comes that's in. always fun. That person who's trying to keep their job so they give you lots of notes. Oh, yes. (laughs) Got that one, too. Got that one, too. Got that one, too. But you can do different performances. Well, it depends on the show because some shows they kind of just recreate the choreography and and the Mm -hmm. show. In some shows, there's really not that much room for interpretation. Mm -hmm. In other shows, um, you know, people like to recreate the wheel. Mm -hmm. Right. I saw the Sweeney Todd. um, With Norm? No, I didn't get to see that one. The one either. before that, the revival where everyone was playing the instruments. Oh, right, with And Patty. I didn't think I was going to enjoy that. Oh, it was magnificent. John Doyle again. Yeah. John Doyle. Yeah. I mean, he, I, I just said to this friend, I said, I'm going to go back and do Carmen Jones, mm-hmm. Jones just to work with him. Yeah. Just, you know, just to, to get into, again, the the dramatic part of of, 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 of of a piece. And to me, in the opera world, those directors that I have worked with who have come from a really strong theater background have been really the most interesting, fulfilling mm-hmm. people that I've worked with. Because my, although, I, I don't know about you, coming from this musical theater background, theater is just as important as the music. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes if I'm finding a, a, a difficult phrase that just doesn't come come to me um, vocally, when I sit down, I really sit down there and I start looking at my intentions and mm-hmm. thinking of coming from as, as a play, as you say mm-hmm. you're doing. And I, that's why I would love to do more plays, yeah. really. And, and, and take it from that viewpoint, all of a sudden vocally, I, whoop, it's there. I find what mm-hmm. I need to find. Interesting. I don't know. Does it? Does that well, happen to you? That's part of why I left the opera program because I, no one was talking about that. Yeah. And you know, as talented as I as I may have thought I was at nineteen or twenty, I knew that I didn't have everything. So right. if no one was addressing this one thing, I knew I needed to go get something somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I, I sometimes I don't know if you get that much. I mean, depending on the musical and depending on the director, you don't always get that much depth because a lot of musicals are light. Mm. And some of the heavy ones move so fast. Les Miserables just moves super fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you don't necessarily you have to either come with it already. Mm-hmm. I, that's part of the reason I love plays. Is like I'm wearing normal clothes and I'm walking around like a normal person. <laughs> I'm not grass. I'm not a hyena. I'm not a car. And I'm just talking. This is fantastic. It's going to be hard to get me to go back. I'm serious. <laughs> I love it. I'm a 
real person. I mean, you're tired. You, you still are tired because you're going through an emotional thing, but it's not the same. Not, yes, but just talking. It's like we're talking, and, and then now we're yelling a little bit. Oh, okay. said maybe I got a tear. Oh, maybe. Oh, that was exciting. See, that's that's the journey I want to take. So, um, but I, I understand what you're saying. It's um, because sometimes if you go to the if I go to the opera, I don't necessarily expect to be moved mm-hmm. emotionally beyond the music. Oh, that's interesting. And part of the reason, and sometimes going to musicals, that will happen. Sometimes it doesn't happen, and that's why if I go to a play, most likely I do expect that. Interesting. Have you I'm, seen the band's visit? I have not. No, I have not. Did that get you? Oh, that was truly one of. The best things I've seen on Broadway. Very subtle, Mm -hmm. but again, it comes from a very theatrical Mm -hmm. place, and and it comes out this way. And the music is so ingrained that you Mm -hmm. don't even realize the music. The music is coming out of, out of, out of the speaking. Mm -hmm. And at the end, I mean, at the Mm -hmm. end, I mean, I literally just started. I stood up and just started screaming, and I don't do that. Wow. It got you like that? It got me like that. Wow. It was just one of those, again, one of those, as you said, coming from a theatrical, and again, all all of these individuals were actors mm-hmm. who could sing. Could sing. Mm-hmm. I also find that in Broadway, I mean, I think, speaking to young people, if I could talk to someone young, I, I'd say, if you're in college, go to every class, go to all the dance classes, go to all the acting classes, don't skip them, go to them while someone's paying for them or while they're... <laughs> Because I feel like acting is more important. I mean, there are a few people who are really just wonderful singers mm-hmm. who have great careers, but I feel like the acting is going to separate you from... Absolutely. You know, while there's nothing wrong with being in the ensemble, that is going to separate an ensemble person from a lead. Right, mm-hmm. right, 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 right. Because I, I, I personally would settle for someone who acts better than they sing mm-hmm. in a show. Mm-hmm. I would be more fulfilled watching that than to hear someone sing beautifully where... It's and nothing's there. Well, it's interesting you should say that because I remember years ago seeing um, Nenufa at Glyndebourne, and it was um, yeah, it was Astrid Varney, and the acting was so riveting hmm. that literally at the end I was You're like this, and it worked vocally because the acting was just so hmm. there and pulled hmm. me in hmm. that. It worked. It worked. Yes, it was the most beautiful sound in the world, but my God, it just pulled me in. It's like Callus. I mean, one mm-hmm. of the people I love is Callus because you hear in the voice all of the acting. The emotion. Mm-hmm. The emotions and the acting is right there in the voice. And it's, it's, it's interesting mm-hmm. you should say that, mm-hmm. that, um, that um, when you come to the opera, yes, you expect this beautiful singing, mm-hmm. but when you get both of those... It, it, there's something else. There's something else. It's on. A, it's on a different level altogether. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's and you're. In, it's interesting that you. When people ask me. Young singers ask me what. What would I say for them to concentrate on? Art song. Hmm. Because Almost like sonnets, like the answer. Exactly. Music's answer. To exactly. Sonnets. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I wish someone had because. Naturally, coming from, as you say, Indiana University, mm-hmm. or coming from—I I don't know—but I won't—I won't speak for you, Robin. But if you found this to be the case at at, at Catholic University, it was all about opera. Mm-hmm. And I wish I had someone there who's who had really sat down and said, "No, let's start with art songs, because mm-hmm. you've got to tell a story. 
You have to tell a story. And when I first started in this business, my manager said to me, "Well, I envision you having a career in opera, recitals, oratorio." And I said to him, "I don't do recitals. I'm an opera singer." He said, "You will be doing recitals." I said, "Okay." And I fell in love with it, and mm-hmm. that's when I thought, "Wow! If I could give some advice, as you said, mm-hmm. the acting, start with art songs, mm-hmm. dancing, definitely dancing, definitely dancing." Because I came to West Side mm-hmm. Story, and I'll be honest with you, I was looking at everyone's, mm-hmm. everyone's feet from first position, second position, third mm-hmm. position, fourth position. They hired me as a singer who could dance; I could mm-hmm. move, but I literally had to come in there and. Teach myself ballet, and that's some serious dancing. And some serious <laughs> dancing. Not for fun. No. <laughs> yeah.、Um, also, I found that it's one of my college professors, the musical theater. He was head of the, or is head of the musical theater program at Indiana. Now that they have one,、mm-hmm. um, George Penny, he said something about everything's about the breath, and I, I didn't understand it as a kid. But there was a girl named Cindy Patron. She ended up being a. a Rocket. Now she, I think she has a dance studio in Pennsylvania somewhere. But we're both the same height. She's very tall. She could dance. She could dance. Not the strongest singer. I could sing. I could sing. Not the strongest dancer. <laughs> right. I think she understood it earlier, but only in the last maybe five or ten years I understood what he meant about the breath. Because as a singer, you were taught to push everything out and get as much. Well, I guess depending on your teacher to get as much air in and to control your breath. Right. Coming out. Dancers are taught to pull everything in and stay up. If you've been breathing like that since you were a little girl dancing or a little boy dancing, or you know, if since a teenager you've been breathing a certain way and holding yourself as a singer, that's how you walk through the world. So you go into an audition where you have to let go and be emotional. If you're nervous, you can't do that, right? Because you're holding yourself a certain way. So the breath is very powerful, I find, and I find it's very for me. It's easier for me to act without music. Because something happens where it's very easy for me to go in. I can sound really pretty. Let me just control this. It's very easy for me to control,、mm. and it's easier. It's harder for me to let go and let the breath be free as a right, singer, right. which is where the emotion flows. Interesting, interesting. And as you said, it's partly because we have taught constantly how to control the、mm-hmm. breath, how to control the breath,、mm-hmm. instead of really being taught how to let go of the breath. Yes. And this is this 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 is something that I you know talk about in my teaching. I instantly know my students who have been ba- ballet dancers because they're all going up here. I, up here, I said, no, we've got to find、mm-hmm. we've got to find a way to help you to let that breath go. go. Let it go. That was Harlan Blackwell and Robin Payne in the first part of a special discussion in celebration of Black History Month. To catch the rest of this conversation, be sure to listen to our next podcast episode. I'm Naomi Baratera, and thank you so much for listening.